Hello, and welcome to the Low Tech Podcast. I'm Scott Johnson from the Low Technology Institute, your host for podcast number 18 on March 3rd, 2017, coming to you out of the Low Tech Recording Room in Madison, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to meet Eroy. Who is that, you ask? Eroy is a what? And it is the measure of energy returned on investment, and it is used to compare how efficient different fuels are. We'll also have our regular weekly news roundup and research updates. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at low underscore techno, like us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, and check out our website at its new URL, lowtechinstitute.org. There, you can find both of our podcasts. So today, we're looking at the Energy Returned on Investment, or EROI. And while this might sound like a snoozer of a topic, it actually brings together all kinds of things we deal with every day and it helps us to quantify our energy use. If we take it to the next logical step, it can be used in a type of flow analysis of energy and nutrients in our own homes. But first, let's talk about EROI and its academic usage. For this, I'm relying heavily on a paper by Charles Hall, Jessica Lambert, Stephen Barlow from the State University of New York in Syracuse called EROI of Different Fuels and Implications for Society from 2013 but they are by no means the only folks talking about EROI. This article is open access, and I've linked to it on the episode page for this podcast, so you can read it for yourself. You can tell these are people after my own heart and have ideas that help advance our argument here at the Low Tech Institute, as they recognize that, quote, the prosperity and stability of modern society is inextricably linked to the production and consumption of energy, especially oil, end quote. Although our goal here at the Institute is to extricate ourselves from that production and consumption of fossil fuel energy, what this article does is use EROI to talk about why fossil fuels are so addictive, namely that they're really efficient, at least in one sense of the word. They cite studies showing that periods of GDP growth to rates of oil consumption and that recessions often coincide with sharp changes in oil prices. It is important to point out here that oil is traded in American dollars, meaning that if the dollar is strong, it can drive the cost of oil down and vice versa. The linking of oil prices and consumption to the economy of the USA is more than just the fuel for our factories and vehicles, though. For example, when comparing the cost of energy to the GDP, we could divide the amount of money spent on energy by the annual GDP. When energy is around 5% of GDP, economies tend to grow, but when it reaches 10% or more, too much money has to be allocated buying energy and economies decline. In 2014, for example, the US spent $1.394 trillion on energy, which was about 8% of the $17.393 trillion US GDP. EROI comes into play because we need to understand the economics of producing energy. For example, when we produce a barrel of oil, how much energy does it require? Or in another way, how many barrels of oil can the energy from a single barrel of oil produce? As time goes on and fossil fuels become less abundant, the amount of energy needed to extract a barrel of oil will go up and eventually they'll break even, at which point there is no rational reason to extract oil or other fossil fuels. That is, once you're needing an entire barrel of oil's energy to extract another barrel of oil, you've broken even, and there's no point in extracting any more. If we develop some new fuel type, we'd want to know if it's more efficient than traditional extraction. So we would use EROI, and this is exactly what has been done with ethanol made from corn and soy. 
As many of you know, we produce so much extra food in the U.S. that we are looking for ever more ways to use the surplus, and one of them has been to create fuel. It seems like a straightforward measurement at first glance. How many gallons of diesel are needed for the tractors and semi-trucks as well as energy for the factory to turn corn seeds into corn plants, harvest them, transport them, and turn them into fuel? It would only make sense to do this if you were getting more out of the equation than you're putting in. That is, if I'm burning a barrel of oil to make less than a barrel of oil's worth of fuel, it would be an absurd waste of resources. But not so fast. EROI is a ratio of produced energy to energy spent to produce it. While it is generally easy to measure the output, the input can be difficult to delineate. First, we have the fuel that runs the machinery. That's easy. Then we have to take into account the production of the machinery. How much of the cost of a $600,000 New Holland CR 10.90 combine harvester should be divvied up on each barrel of ethanol produced? I got that price from the nifty equipment builder and price guide on newholland.com. Then there's the cost of the semi or train to move the harvest and the building, maintenance, and running of the factory. But what about the transportation of the oil to be used and the infrastructure to distribute the fuel and the cars that run on the fuel? What about the roads that the government builds to drive our cars on? And what about the pedestrian hit by the car? As you can see, we have to choose where to draw the line when we are computing the EROI of oil or any other energy source and that's why it can be controversial to simply use this statistic without defining one's parameters. Hall and others have developed different categories of EROI to spell out what the second side of the ratio embodies. EROI ST is the standard EROI. It just measures the obvious energy investments to create the energy return and is the least complicated, but also ignores many of the other embodied costs. EROI POU is the point of use EROI, which includes the cost of refining and transporting the fuels. In my example, this would be the entire production chain from harvesting through the gas station. EROI EXT is the extended EROI, and this considers the energy needed to get and use the energy returned, so this would include gas stations, our cars, and our roads in my above example. Finally, EROI SOC is societal EROI meaning the total cost of using a fuel versus the total gains from them. This is so expansive that it may be difficult to fully encompass the data, but the authors have tried. Think, for example, about the EROI of using coal. How do we quantify kids who get asthma because they live near a coal plant? It's a little difficult to encompass all of these different types of data. EROI can change over time, and with fossil fuels, they typically decline, meaning as time goes on, fossil fuels become less efficient as more complicated methods are needed to extract them. For example, oil production has decreased from 25 to 1 return on investment in the 1970s to 10 to 1 in 2007. Coal is a bit of an odd case as it declined from an EROI of 80 to 1 in the 1950s to 30 to 1 by the 1980s, but it has risen back up because of extraction technology that has shifted from underground mining which is very uh, energy intensive, to surface removals or mountaintop removal, which is less energy intensive, and the EROI has bounced back to 80 to 1 again. Again, we see how EROI, or standard EROI, is not necessarily the best measure of the full story of efficiencies, because if we wanted to use a very efficient fuel, coal would certainly be the answer. There's a lot of it left, and it's very efficient energetically. The problem is, it has 
many other knock-on effects that Eroy Soch would kick out and show that using coal is actually very deleterious to people and the environment, and therefore that 80 to 1 basic Eroy is not necessarily the right data to base our economic decisions on. We can also look at nuclear energy, which returns about 14 to 1, and hydropower, which has an astonishing 84 to 1 return. Then we get to ethanol, which ranges from 5 to 1 all the way down to 2 to 1 for standard Eroy, meaning it's not even counting many of the less obvious inputs uh, to growing corn, soybeans, switchgrass, and other things to make ethanol. So if we're just taking the standard Eroy and it's barely breaking even, when we look more deeply into the societal costs, uh, we are probably looking at a fuel that is less than one-to-one -one efficient. Renewables are a little funny when we look at their Eroy, as they produce plenty of electricity once installed, but they take a lot of energy to produce the systems themselves, especially ones that need battery backups. Wind is a pretty efficient source at 18 to 1, while solar is anywhere from 10 down to 2.5 to 1. This is not taking the more comprehensive social impacts into account, however, as the renewables do not have the negative global or local impacts of fossil fuels, nuclear, or hydroelectric power. So again, just based on the standard EROI, we might make a poor decision when it comes to energy, where it's clear that uh, the externalized benefits of renewable energies should add a lot of value to their relatively low standard Eroy. And of course, fossil fuels are more efficient when measured this way, as it takes 100 tons of decayed ancient organic matter to make a single gallon of gasoline, which is the equivalent of 40 football fields worth of crops today. It's lots of energy compressed into a small space, but that doesn't mean physical efficiency is the only worthy measure. As Hall and colleagues point out, quote, while Eroy analyses generate numerical assessments using quantitative data that may include many production factors, they do not include other important data such as climate change, air quality, health benefits, and other environmental qualities that are considered quote-unquote externalities to these analyses, end quote. They go on to say, and forgive the long quotation, but it's an interesting one, quote, energy in the ground is unlikely to be exploitable cheaply or eventually at all, because of its decreasing Eroy. Alternatives such as photovoltaics and wind turbines are unlikely to be nearly as cheap energetically or economically as past oil and gas when backup costs are considered. That's batteries. In addition, there are increasing costs everywhere pertaining to potential climate changes and other pollutants. Any transition to solar energies would require massive investments of fossil fuels. Despite many claims to the contrary, from oil and gas advocates on one hand and solar advocates on the other, we see no easy solution to these issues when Eroy is considered. If any resolution to these problems is possible, it is probable that it will have to come at least as much from an adjustment of society's aspirations for increased material affluence and an increase in willingness to share as from technology. Unfortunately, recent political events do not leave us with great optimism that such changes in societal values will be forthcoming. In a follow-up article entitled Energy, Eroy, and Quality of Life, also by Lambert Hall and others, which you can find linked to on the podcast episode page, the team looks at how Eroy tracks to quality of life measures, including the Human Development Index, percent of children underweight, health expenditures, gender inequality, literacy rate, and access to improved water. They find that as Eroy declines, 
so do these quality of life indices. If we draw out this conclusion then, by switching to renewables with their low EROI, we might have a decrease in our quality of life. This is to be expected though, as our world has developed its quality of life technologies to exist in a fossil-fueled system. We didn't design our potable water system, for example, to run on solar or wind power. If so, we would be using wind to pump water, a time-honored technology, instead of converting wind to electricity to run pumps, which is not as efficient. At any rate, I take these results with a grain of salt, as it is a little unfair to say that we have a declining EROI, our quality of life must also decline, as we have no counterfactual. What I mean is, could a new system be built that runs on less energy? If so, low EROI energy sources would be fine. At the Institute, we'll be taking the idea of EROI into account in future projects, but we'll be doing it in a little bit of an adapted way. For example, this year we'll be building a solar-powered hydronic heating system for our house, but we'll measure the BTU output for the year once it's operating and compare that to the BTUs required for other heating sources such as fuel oil, electricity, or natural gas. Then we'll tally up the hours invested for a person to build such a system and the embodied costs and inputs of materials purchased to build the system completely. That can be compared to similar DIY heating solutions, such as putting up wood for use in a wood stove, for example. At the end of this, we should be able to say a solar-powered hydronic heating system is X percent more or less efficient than heating one's home with a wood stove for Y years. Additionally, we can talk about the comparison of the inputs and outputs when compared with conventional heating systems. It gives us a way to quantify what is otherwise not easily quantifiable. And it doesn't just have to be energy projects. We can use the idea of EROI to look at gardening and compare a head of lettuce from our garden versus one bought at the store. EROI will help us look at and quantify a complex set of actions from building the beds and growing and maintaining the plants versus the chemical and fossil fuel inputs and transportation for buying lettuce at the store. We can compare calories in versus calories out for our gardening as well. Additionally, one of the ways that we like to analyze how our system is functioning is through kind of a flowchart. Uh, typical houses have arrows coming into the house of electricity, natural gas, water, and other utilities, and those are used then in the house for cooking, cleaning, heating, washing, drinking, and all of these myriad actions, and then they get flushed or washed or dissipated out of the house through lost heat, the sewer system, etc. If we're looking at this as a flowchart, it's kind of a one-way street. Things come in and then they go out. Things come in and then they go out. What we'd like to do is produce a system where really the large thing coming in is water through rainfall and sunlight. And then the rest of everything, once established on the land, is a self-perpetuating system where, for example, uh, we eat food out of the garden, we give the scraps to the chickens, we get eggs from the chickens, the chicken manure fertilizes the garden, we get more plants, etc. It goes in a circle. Obviously there have to be inputs from outside. Since I don't have a copper mine, I'm not going to be able to make copper pipes. But when we measure up and count and tally the embodied inputs from outside uh, versus what we're able to generate ourselves, it's going to be a very different flowchart. And EROI is going to be part of that analysis helping us put a quantifiable number on how efficient we're being. You can expect to see EROI pop up from time to time on the podcast, in the blog, and in reports coming from the Institute, so stay tuned.
All right, let's take a look at this week in low-tech news. News coming in about the rebound in California's drought. It is possible that water conservation measures will be lifted, but this might be a mistake. Remember that California has experienced five years of drought, and to make up for the surface water deficit, people have been pumping out groundwater. Surface water is like our checking account. It's used from day to day. And groundwater is like savings. It should only be drawn upon in times of emergency. It would be prudent to continue to practice conservation measures and allow the groundwater aquifers to get a little replenishment from this upcoming surplus. But we'll see what policies are put forward soon. NPR highlighted a story from the University of Sheffield that looked at the embodied energy and emissions in a loaf of conventional bread. The biggest source of emissions was the nitrogen fertilizer, which accounted for 40% of its footprint. See this article for a good example of a full life cycle analysis of a pretty regular commodity. Treehugger had a story on a revived education model, which parallels our own point of view on education, namely that modern education is based on the industrial model. Students are trained in an assembly line in order to be workers in an industrial system. But this is not how humans evolved to learn over millions of years. This model divides learning into three chronological phases, the grammar stage, logic stage, and rhetoric stage. Young children are encouraged to use their natural curiosity and imagination to learn about the world. Older children are introduced to the scientific method and answers to the why questions. In the last stage, children are taught how to express themselves through writing and speaking, and this sounds like a really intriguing proposal, so check out that story. Those are some of the stories we're following in Low-Tech News. To see links to the stories we've discussed, send us a news tip and more, visit the Low-Tech website, lowtechinstitute.org, or by following the link in our podcast profile. And now for a brief recap of the research we have going on around the Institute. We had a board meeting this last week. We elected Kelly Larson as our president, Barry Larson as our vice president, Paula Hamvis as our treasurer, and me, Scott Johnson, as secretary. I was also appointed as the first director of the Low Technology Institute. The board also approved an upgrade to our online infrastructure, and we've got a new URL. It is lowtechinstitute.org. Your links and bookmarks to our previous address will redirect to the new site, so never fear. That's all we have this week on the Low Tech Podcast. The Low Tech Podcast is put out by the Low Technology Institute. At the moment, the show is hosted, edited, and distributed by me, Scott Johnson. This episode was recorded at the Low Technology Recording Room. Our intro music was Sydney City Rain off the album The Real and Friends by Nada Baba. That song is under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial and Sharealike Licenses. This podcast is under the Creative Commons Attribution and Sharealike License, meaning you're free to use and share as long as you give us credit. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio, and please give us a rating. It helps to boost our audience reach. You can find out more information about the Low Technology Institute at lowtechinstitute.org. You can follow us on Twitter at low underscore techno and reach me directly at lowtechinstitute at gmail.com. I'd be happy to have your feedback. Thanks and take care. Bye.